Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the John Kyle Report. Wherever you get your podcast, you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You can find us there as part of Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated when you tune in. And don't forget, you can always read my work on ESPN.com. And I, earlier tonight, I wrapped up a private Zoom session for the gold members. And there were a handful of gold members in there. And we recorded it. And that's going to be available to all the regular members um, or the, the regular paid members um, shortly, whether you may, it may already be up there by the time you hear this. So there you go. But check the site for that. If you are a member, if you want to become a member, go to the Empire Media YouTube page and hit the word, see, you'll see the word join, click on there and, and find out, or just look for the level of membership that interests you. But anyways, you're going to be doing those private Zooms throughout the year. And so hopefully that's something people enjoy. Anyway, so let's get to today's podcast. And on Wednesday, we're going to meet the rest of the assistant coaches, all the rest of Dan Quinn's staff. Met Cliff Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr. last week. Now we're going to meet all the assistant coaches on Wednesday. So a little going to be they're going to be at a bunch of tables, you're going to be able to bounce around and talk to them, find out what's going on with them, their philosophies, whatever. The first chance to talk to them. So it's a I'm just sometimes you're just always curious, like what kind of energy do these guys bring? Um, leadership skills that they bring. Can you see why Dan Quinn or, or why these guys wanted them? A couple of guys I'm really kind of interested in because you, it's hard to spend a lot of time at each table, but guys like Anthony Lynn, Brian Johnson, uh, Ken Norton Jr., Daryl Tapp. So those are guys that I think you're going to play a pretty big role here. Bobby Johnson, other guys, a line coach, but also their role, especially like Brian Johnson and Anthony Lynn, their role in the run game. And I think that's going to be a big deal. And so, but I am curious, like, why did they want to come here? And to be honest, my guess is going to be a lot about, first of all, it's opportunity, but also Dan Quinn, because one of the things that, one of the things that this group found during this process were how many guys wanted to work with Dan Quinn. And, you know, this isn't like an after the fact thing, like this is something you heard throughout, but I think they, I think it surprised them how many people reached out to them about you know, about Quinn, in some cases looking for a job or wanting to work with him. Other cases, it was just like, hey, this is the guy you want. Anyway, but this t- tomorrow or Wednesday is the first chance we get to talk to these guys. So we're, we'll re- I'll report back to you guys just what you pick up from them, maybe some little tidbits about them or about how they view certain players. These guys just got here. So they they are just now diving into some evaluations. And it's funny because you got free agency coming up in just a few weeks. And there's still some guys on this roster, I think, like probably getting a little bit antsy about what are their intentions for them. And, and they have a couple of key guys like a Cam Curl, guys like Antonio Gibson, Curtis Samuel. And so what's going to happen there? And I think there's still, you know, still don't know what's going to happen. It's not going to be the franchise tag. It's not going to be that for any of these guys. Um, but anyway, so this is all part of the evaluation process. We'll get a chance to talk to them about some of these guys, about them. And I'll, I, that'll be the podcast on Thursdays, just talking a lot about what I picked up during these interviews and things that stood out. So there you go. Now, I want to talk a little bit about quarterbacks and a couple of things about some other players. 
And this is just kind of playing off what Kingsbury talked about last week about some of the mo- about mobility with the quarterbacks and how that's like something he obviously wants. And that was the only thing he said he'd want in a quarterback, not the only thing, but this is the one thing he brought up. You know, I talked about this last week in the podcast, but I just want to reiterate because I think it's funny because you see things throughout the week or you hear things and you think when he said mobility, it's not cutting anybody out of the picture. Like Drake May, I know the assumption was it's Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels, those guys. Drake May is a mobile quarterback. He can move. It's it's not as big a part of his game as it might be for you know, to the level, what Daniels can do or Williams can do, but he can move. And, uh, you know, so don't discount, like my point in saying that all these quarterbacks are still going to be on the table for what they might do with the second pick. And, and, you know, again, I'm, I've long been assuming that Chicago would take Caleb Williams. I don't know that for a fact, but that's been the assumption when you talk to people in the league. And if he does, if they don't, Hey, He's sitting there too, or if some other team trades up and they want to keep Justin Fields, hey, there you go. But that's been the assumption. But the point is, all those guys are are mobile. The other part of that, though, is I don't know that I think Kingsbury understands like you can't run your quarterbacks a ton and have them last a long time in the NFL. And so pocket mobility, their their ability to move within the pocket is also part of that mobility. And it's a big deal. And I think one of the things that, to me, that I like about Drake May, I'm not saying they should draft him, so take a deep breath for all the you, you know, you Jaden guys and folks. Um, but one thing he does do well is he moves well within the pocket. I think that's a strength of his. And I think whereas like Daniels, I think those, you know, he and Caleb can move. I mean, Caleb does that well too. Um, Daniels, I think got better at that. And there were times like, but I see this with all these guys. Like sometimes I saw those with May too. I say that. And then you see it, but I see it with Daniels too, where you might leave a good pocket and like, why did you leave? Why did you back up on that throw? All you have to do is stand in there and make the throw. And you instead you're backing up and you're doing this, you know, or maybe you escape a good pocket too early. That's also part of it. But I do think like, that's also part of the mobility and being able to extend a play. And sometimes extend that play is just, this is where I like having a, whether it's Daniels or May, like that size, that height is going to help because you know, just the ability to see over the line and just, you could see that like it buys you that ability to maybe, okay, if I just step over here, I got a better throwing lane because you can see that. Right. So I think that's something that is also part of that mobility. Um, but the pocket movement is, is a big key. And the other thing with Daniels and like there's a lot to like about his game. And I've talked about this about, you know, and it's probably going to be talked about whenever I have a guest on, I am curious about this because it is a part of his game. Can you get him out of the habit of just getting hit hard at the end of his runs? Because if you can't the career, like for all the talent that he has, you're not going to have as long a career, but if you can get him there, now you got something right. So that to me will be the big thing that, that he has to overcome the NFL. And, you know, a lot of times guys will say like, all it takes is one hit and you learn your lesson. That's great. And if that's the case, that's that, then he's going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL. Um, It's not as simple as teaching him how to slide. You can teach him how to slide. To me, it comes down to a mindset. Are you, you know, for him, it's just this, he's going to try and get every yard he can, whether it's trying to hurdle a guy in the middle of the field or in the middle of a pack area, or just trying to, you know, not going to, try to run through him or whatever he's going to do. And I think it's an admirable trait 
but I think it's one that's hard to sustain in the NFL. So whether he weighs 215 at the combine, 205, 210, I don't care because it's going to be about, can you tweak that mindset? Don't Please don't change it. Like that mindset is why he's such a good, why he rose from where he was at Arizona State and where he, why he's gotten to where he is. That's a big part of it. And that ability to move is a really big part of it. And he's a really good passer. Like he has some, like, like he doesn't run the way Lamar Jackson did in college, but he's a more accurate passer. So like he's got skills as a passer that some other guys have been trying to develop. Like he's more advanced as a passer in college, certainly than where like Jalen Hurts was at. Um, and I just, you know, when you talk to, especially when you talk to scouts or, or executives, whomever evaluators about that, that's what you're going to hear too. So like, he's got a lot going for him, but please just learn to take care of yourself more than just sliding, just like understand when to avoid the contact by running out of bounds, doing whatever. And yes, sliding, but it's more just tweak the mindset to last in the NFL. Cause that kid can be a lot of fun to watch if he can, if he does that. So anyways, but I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying advocating for one or the other. I'm not like, I'm going to sit like, there are things that I like about Daniels or things that I like. I just told you concerns or things I like about may. And I have concerns. Like there are times I think he does that he's a bigger guy. So it's not about that. But there's sometimes like, it's just very inconsistent. And, and so like, that's, that's one of the things I wonder about with him, but I'm not going to sit here and pound the table for one of these guys. I know sometimes some people are like, Oh, we want you to give more opinions. That's my job. Isn't to give you the opinions. It's trying to give you the information so you can form your own opinions. But also in this situation, I'm very cognizant. Like I don't want to sit here and you know pound the table for may or Daniels, and and then unless I thought there was this just this massive difference between the two, like I'm all for picking a guy at two versus trading back and then selecting from the JJ McCarthy or Penix, I'd rather take one of these guys. So that's where I would say. Now, if they did that, then I say, okay, why is that? What, what what is it about those guys that led them to make that move? What's the benefit? I want to analyze it, and I just like I want to analyze the quarterbacks, but you know, for but. I'm not going to say it because the other problem too, if I sit here and say, it's got to be May, it's got to be Downs, whatever. And they take the other guy, then I don't want someone saying, well, you're only criticizing this guy's performance because you wanted them to take so-and-so. It's not how I operate. And I think you should know that by now about me, but I will have to make picks in those mock drafts. And those mocks are typically about what I think they'll do. But sometimes it might be, I might just say, well, today I'm going to do what I think I would do. Um, but I do think like in those mocks for ESPN, it's going to be about what I think they will do. Anyways, I don't know why I got off of that. And you probably don't even care about that, but sometimes I just like to say things. So it's, it's whatever. The other thing I would do at quarterbacks, I would, I would make sure to keep Sam Howell if, if, at all possible. And it's all it's possible because you own the right to him. But I do think the kid can play in this league. I don't think he certainly didn't show this year that you should just automatically build around him, regardless of whatever reasons you want to you may want to give to why he threw so many picks or didn't have the year, didn't finish the year the way you wanted to. This group is not tethered to him. That's an important thing. Why should they then they have a chance, a new group has a chance to invest in their guy, do that. But I think Sam Howell can still develop. And so I'm definitely going to go out and get a quarterback at two, but I'm also definitely going to keep developing Sam Howell because I think like, listen, if nothing else, he can be a very valuable backup for you. Or if something happens to the starter, whether they're not as good or struggling or they get hurt, maybe Howell can then go in there and do something. So 
it's a, you know, the more you can have that, that position, I think the better off you are because they just haven't had that position filled in a long time. So don't start discounting or discarding young guys that if you think they can play, um, it wouldn't just like, why, why it doesn't make, to me, it wouldn't make sense. It makes more sense to develop them. Now the one part where it might get awkward for, for, for how is if they did draft may, because those, those guys are close. And so that would be really a weird situation to be competing against guy who's probably one of your best friends when you're at the similar stage of your career. Like if they were at different stages, it might be a little bit easier to accept like, okay, you're going to sit behind this guy for a year or two or whatever, but that's not the case. They're both, even though Howell's young or he's been in the league, he's still relatively, he's only going in his third year. So it would just be kind of a little bit different. Um, the other thing is the franchise tag. You, teams can now use that. I don't expect them to use it on anybody. Um, you know, whether it's, I don't expect them to pay Cam Curl that kind of money for a safety. It wouldn't, it just, it's just not, it's not where he's at. It's not where they're at. So I don't see them using the tag on anybody. Um, and it, but that's one of the things I want, I do want to talk to some of those assistant coaches about what they think about some of these players. Because again, they've gotten a late jump in getting here. So what's their evaluation of a guy like a Cam Curl? How do they see him possibly fitting in if the team does go out and resign him? Antonio Gibson, like, you know, I've talked to people who feel like he'd be a very good fit in this, this style of offense, what they think the style of offense is going to be. Um, but if you're a Gibson, you know, I don't know that there's been a whole lot there yet because you, you know, I don't know if they'll meet with him at the combine, these guys at his agents at combine, but would you want to come back, even though it's a new setup, completely new setup, but sometimes you just say, you know what, I just need to change to go somewhere else to see what I can do somewhere else. I don't know. But anyway, but he, but talking to people, he'd be a good fit, but you can also draft a guy and you have Robinson and Rodriguez already in the contract. And so you don't have to then invest in a free agent running back if you don't want to. Um, the other thing, the other thing I want to talk about too, is, you know, you, they also have like, I'm sure you've seen like they have the most salary cap space in the NFL. So they, Right now, I think it's over 80 million. They can create 15 to 20 million more just with a few moves. Some of the big moves they can make, and I've talked about this in other times, and the two guys that would free up the most would be Logan Thomas and Charles Leno. If the if they if they make a move with those guys, or if like if Leno or one of them decides they don't want to play anymore, you could if they both are gone, that would free up almost 14 million in salary cap space. Now you could for Leno, it'd be 7.28 million before June 1st, 11.78 after June 1st. Logan at 6.54 million. Um, you could also, if I, Nick Gates at the end of the year certainly didn't expect to come back. The problem for him is that if you cut him before June 1st, it's actually going to cost you $90,000. So he doesn't really fit because I don't, unless they, unless they view him differently. Now, the one thing I'll say is, Giants line coach is coming here. So he knows Nick Gates. So maybe he's got a plan for him because if you cut him again, I mean, it's, you're not going to save anything by doing that. There's the dead cap money is not very big, but you're also not saving anything. So you could go, if you do it post June 1st, you'd save about 1.6 million if that's where you went. Um, so we'll see what happens there, but there is a connection to a coach. I don't know that it's going to matter because he didn't play that well. And I don't know. It depends on what style they see for this line and what they want out of the line. 
personally, I try and find another veteran center. And then, um, because I would have a little bit of a concern having a rookie center with a rookie quarterback. Now you have Stromberg. Is he going to be, would he elevate to a starter or not? I can't, you can't go into the year thinking he would. Um, so I would look for a veteran center personally and go there. Andrew Wiley. Um, if you cut him pre June 1st, it'd be 1.58 million savings post 4.24. And I don't know what they're going to do there. I don't, I don't know their plans with these guys at this, at this time, but the, that's, those are some of the savings. And like, you can't get rid of all these linemen. So I think with Wiley still has value. If you wanted to, you could, you draft a tackle or are you really going to go with two new tackles? I mean, you, to me, I would draft a tackle probably in the second round. It's a good area for it, but are you going to really go with two young tackles? I think that would be tough. And so I could see one of those guys sticking around and getting another tackle in the draft um, just gives them, gives them options. So I don't know yet what's going to happen there. Also, finally, Matthew Slater, Patriots um, special teams ace, retired. It's funny because you start to hear people talk about him in the Hall of Fame. And Devin Hester, of course, just you know got into the Hall of Fame. And it's funny because with Slater, I think he was a great coverage player, great gunner. But, man, if you're going to put a special teams guy in there, you got to get Brian Mitchell in there. And I I can understand why voters put Hester in there first. You may disagree, but he had so many monstrous plays early in his career, just like, and his averages were sky sky high. But th- my case for Mitchell is pretty simple, and I and I feel like I felt like I felt like based on perception that Hester would get in there before him, and I felt like that would help Mitchell eventually. But my my case for Mitchell goes beyond the goes beyond the return game, especially teams. The guy did a lot of things for a team. He you know, he was a great returner and we saw that. I mean, great returner, but he also played coverage teams. He also played from scrimmage as a, he could play multiple roles from you on offense. That's where, so when I hear about Slater being a hall of famer, he didn't do any of that. Brian Mitchell was more of a hall of fame, not just special teamer, but maybe just as a, as a player. But if you look at his contributions to a team, it was pretty vast. And so I think like, I, I hope at some point for his sake that that gets looked at a lot harder. I do not have a vote on the committee, um, but uh, but that would be a guy that I would push for, especially now with Hester in there, that you open the door for returners. And then you have to look at what else did Brian Mitchell do? He was a really good, caught the ball well at the backfield. When they needed him to be a runner, he was a very good runner. So he just did a lot for you. I remember when he got cut way back in the day that I just thought it was, this is a bad move because now you're going to need about four or five guys to replace just one. And that like, he did things at a high level and he was a, again, a damn good returner. And it's funny because the further you are removed from it, the better he, because we haven't seen a guy like that since then, not, not consistently. I mean, what he did was tremendous and he was very, he's a very smart returner. And that's what I've always appreciated about him is just how smart he was as a returner for a guy who did not enter the league as a returner, but yet he became a, a really, really good one um, just because I think he's smart, he's tough, and there you go. That's that's what it is, and he, he's a lot of very physical. So, but anyways, so all I just, but I was thinking about this with Slater having retired that I think B. Mitch definitely warrants more conversation for his role. Damn good returner. And if you get Hester in there, I think now Mitchell has to be up for that but just as a special teams overall player. Um, and then also his contribution to the team. He's just, he go went way beyond just being a returner, but man, that guy belongs in Canton at some point. So anyway, folks, that's it for me. 
Um, appreciate you tuning in and I'll be back on Thursday. I'm going to get you a wrap of what we learned from talking to the assistant coaches, things that stood out, things that I think that you need to know. So I'll talk to you next time.